the hell? Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are recapping Manchester United's 2-0 win over Everton in the EFL Cup. Edison Cavani saving us from penalties with an 88th minute goal before Anthony Marshall finished it off in the 96th minute. Carl, based on those first 25-30 minutes alone, you would say that this is a deserved win for United. I thought overall United were the better team. There were obviously a few stretches where Everton asserted themselves, but I think over the 90 minutes, this was definitely a deserved result for United. Yeah, Vivek, the way the, the game started after the first 25 minutes, I thought it was going to be another uh, goal fest like the previous Leeds United game. But then uh, things quickly changed and uh, it turned into more of the drab Manchester Derby affair where it was just, do I want to watch this game or do I want to watch paint dry? You couldn't really choose between the two. But um, <laughs> luckily, Edison uh, saved us at the end with uh, quite a fantastic goal, actually. He, he almost like he had the attitude of, I've had enough. I'm taking this inside and banging it with my left foot. And what a shot that was right in the corner. No chance for the keeper. And then uh, Martial with the cherry on top afterwards. So um, all in all, I'm, I'm happy. You know what? We're into another semifinal. Hopefully we can get past, past it this time. And, uh, you know, bring home a trophy. And you know what? There, there are quite a few changes that were made. What did you think of how many changes, first of all? And, and what did you think of the rotation in general? Yeah, so let's go through those changes. You had Dean Henderson stepping in for David De Gea, Axel Twanzebe for Iron One Bissaka, Eric Bailly for Victor Lindelof, Alex Tellez for Luke Shaw, Pogba and Matic for Scott and Fred, Donny van de Beek, Edinson Cavani, Mason Greenwood all stepping in for Daniel James, Anthony Marshall and Marcus Rashford. A host of changes. You do wonder a little bit if the chemistry is going to be impacted, if you if it's reasonable to expect a good start because of how many changes are there. But that start is exactly what you would have dreamed up. Doing it against Leeds United is one thing where they're looking to attack just as much as United. But against a solid Everton team, I thought this was arguably the most impressive first 25 minutes of the season. Chance after chance, it was a shame they couldn't score, but the authority they showed in the opening 30 minutes, that is the sign. That is a clear sign that this team is on the verge of taking that next step. Absolutely. The intensity with the press, you know, we started off right at the onset. I think... um... I can't remember who intercepted, but, you know, Bruno, all he had to do was lay it off to Cavani within the first couple of minutes, and we could have been 1-0 up. But just overall, I don't know what United have changed over the last two games in terms of their preparation, but they seem to be a lot more aware, a lot more awake. Uh, they had a fantastic tempo. They were going from left to right. Uh, Alex Tellers with some fantastic balls in the box. Twanzebe looked uh, assured in the right-back position, even though he's been playing centre-back this season. So... I was very impressed that there was a lot of great chemistry despite the number of changes. I mean, the only people who were there from the last game were Bruno and Harry. Everybody else was different, right? And it just goes to show you what a strong spine can do when you have that spine in the team. 
everything else can be built around that, right? And and that's kind of what Liverpool did with uh, Van Dijk and Allison and Jordan Henderson. You mentioned Alex Tellez' crossing, and that's something that is worth discussing because I was so impressed with his ability to cross on the run. There were multiple occasions where United played that through ball to the byline, and you're seeing Tellez run full speed to get it. And so many times you would see other wingers who would have to just pull it back first to prevent it from going out and then try to look up for a cross. But he's running in full speed, whipping it in with great curl, with that perfect amount of power that if you get on the end of it, it's a goal. A shame, you know, the finishing wasn't quite there, but his crossing ability is phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's one deadly left foot. There were actually a couple of examples that, to your point, Vivek, about when players are on the run and they're trying to cross, you saw Iwobi do that where he overhit it, it went into play. You saw Rashford do that where it went into row Z in the stands. Clearly, not not an easy skill. And Tellez was doing it time and time again. Just two chances that I remember offhand were the one that Greenwood came to the near post, had a header, and it just mm-hmm. glanced past the far post. And then you had Cavani, who had that double shot and save from the keeper. Those were all from Alex Tellez's crosses, right? And, you know, once you can cross like that, the defense needs to pay a little bit more attention to you and, and stick tighter to you. And what that hap- what happened as a result was that there was space that uh, accumulated. This was actually a good way to show what Martial and Rashford were able to do that Van der Beek wasn't able to do. When you have Alex Tellers crossing the way he is, this is where you expect Van der Beek to pick up and exploit that space in behind. However, you didn't see that happen. It almost looked like Van der Beek was was okay or just once again we talked about this lack of confidence he was always playing the safe pass whether it was you know back and forth with Matic or just passing it backwards or passing it inward as opposed to going to the byline now I'm fully aware that Van der Beek is not a winger right this doesn't come naturally to him and partly uh, he is being played out of position which is why you probably see him so hesitant so I guess it begs the question is Van de Beek playing out of position? Is this something that he should be getting used to if he wants to get a start in the team? Should we change our formation just to suit him? Where do you sit on all of this, Vivek? Well, first of all, we definitely don't play in a manner that suits him. We've made, It's become crystal clear that ever since Bruno Fernandes has come to the club, he is the one that you build everything around. And so with Donny Van de Beek... I go back to something Matt said when he was on us for the Leeds podcast and he was talking about Marco Bielsa and he was saying Leeds plan B is to do plan A better. And I think Donny van de Beek can take a page out of that. I think right now he is looking at his lack of opportunities and saying, I need to be something different. What I am and what I bring to the table is not getting me on the pitch so I need to be something different but I think he's actually got to look at it and say I need to do plan a better I need to be even better at what I do than what I'm currently capable of so those tight intricate passes those can work but right now you're just not 
at that level where you're executing in a way that splits the defense and creates an opportunity in the final third. So that's where you need to look at it. Don't try to be someone who is now saying, okay, how do I get myself into a position to cross? How do I get myself uh, you know, on the end of things? That's not the type of player I am. So now let me link up that play from the left side. Okay, what are my strengths? Let me just play to that and then build from there. That's a very interesting point, actually. Just Van Der Beek needs to do plan A better. I think his plan A, though, is playing in Bruno's position, and he's going to have to do it a whole lot better if he wants to replace that man in the team. So, you know what? I think Van Der Beek needs to look at what he's being asked to do because you could see Bruno moving all over the pitch, starting on the left, starting on the right. And Van Der Beek, I've seen, I've seen he's capable of this. He loves to get in those pockets of space. He seemed a little passive. This was an Everton team that was very much on the back foot for the first 30 minutes. So Van Der Beek had the opportunity to exploit it and take some risks because Everton were all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. And, And he could have cheated a little bit in terms of where he needed to go. But once again, just a little too passive. I hope Ole just puts an arm around him and says like, hey, Donnie, it's okay to take a couple of risks. Yeah, you're not getting the game time, but you're in my plans and you're going to be very important because we're going to be playing a game every three days now and they're coming thick and fast. So please, we want to win a trophy. You are extremely important to us winning that trophy, right? He just needs like a pat on the back and I think he'll be fine. He's a he's a technically gifted player. Now, I mean, you see the difference with Scott McTominay, right? And his response in that Leeds match. Oh, Pogba is getting these opportunities. And maybe he he's in there because he offers that creativity, that attacking spark that Fred and I maybe lack. I'll show you. I can get forward. I can do this. I can do that. Right. So, yeah. I think I think I think Van der Beek has just got to push himself a little harder now. Were you surprised that Bruno played this game with the congested fixture list? A little bit. You would see the opportunity to maybe get him in in the second half or whatever it might be. But I think you're also seeing the importance of winning a trophy this season. To your point about having a consistent spine, you have leadership from Maguire, you have leadership from Bruno Fernandes. I think that is something that can carry through. So not entirely surprised to see him. If there's an opportunity to give him a bit of a rest, I think it might come a bit later. There's obviously a huge match coming up against Leicester. And it's an early early kickoff as well, lunchtime kickoff, right? So not a lot of rest. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's no secret that Ole needs to get a trophy this season. Ideally, gets a trophy and gets back into the Champions League with a top four spot or a Europa League win. The one thing I'll, I'll say about... Sorry, the one thing I'll say about, you know, Ole leaving Maguire and Bruno in the team, it tells me one thing that's loud and clear is that uh, he values leadership quite a bit. He knows who his leaders are on the team. So he knows that no matter who he puts out on the pitch, these two players will hold everybody accountable. They will not let them get away with it. Because we've seen in the past, you know, when you, you play some of the kids out there and you You've got the Pogba's, the Lingards. They start to, you know, get carried away, and then there's just a lack of leadership. And then when you go down one nil early, or there's a mistake, and you need somebody to get everybody going, it's missing, right? And you can just crumble apart, a la MK yep. Dons versus United, that four nil 
win for MK, right? And that changed a lot of things for a lot of players of the club at the time. So yeah, I think this was a case in point about just having leaders out on the pitch, no matter when you're playing. And if that comes at the cost of a little bit of rest, I think Bruno can handle it. And so can Harriet. I think that's the attitude Ole took. When you look at what happened after the first 25 to 30 minutes where Everton moved into the ascendancy and dictated terms quite a bit, what do you think went wrong for United or did you just feel like Everton woke up? This is what I noticed. I I don't know if you saw this, but United had two different formations. There was one formation when they were attacking and there's one formation when they were defending. When they were defending... They had four at the back. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation, right? Yep. However, when we had the ball and we were attacking, we actually played three to, three at the back. It was mm-hmm. Matic, Maguire, and Bai, And then you had the two fullbacks push all the way forward, almost making like a five-man midfield, right? And in some cases, this might seem strange, but it was like 3-3-3-1. Three, 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 yep. That's what it looked like at times. And so... Everton had Decore in the middle. They had Gilfie Sigelson slightly forward and they had Andre Gomez, right? These guys didn't know how to defend that. So that's why there was acres of space in the middle and United were able to just pass it through and Everton were at sixes and sevens. I think they finally figured it out after 25 minutes when there was a slight break in play and then they were able to set up their formation a little differently to cut down on that space. Once that space was cut down, United had to pass more sideways, a little bit more backwards, slowing the tempo down. And it really allowed Everton to mark the space better. And we didn't have as much time. And that's when our our passes start to get misplaced a lot more. And that also brought Everton into the game because they were winning the ball a lot more and they were going on a counter. Unfortunately, the quality wasn't there from both sides. But I think that explains to me why the first 25 minutes were different compared to the, the rest of the game. And that's one of the reasons why, you know what, Ferguson was a big proponent of let's start the game quickly. Let's get that early goal. Because once we get that early goal, you know what, when teams are figuring it out, they're figuring it out, but they're a goal down as well. So there's more pressure on them, right? So that's kind of what I think happened. What about you? Did you see anything else? No, I think it's spot on. I think United were pegged back just frankly out of Everton figuring things out and just identifying the spaces for themselves. And I thought United, for the most part, equipped themselves quite well. It wasn't like Everton created a great chance. There was one maybe where uh, Calvert-Lewin headed straight at Henderson. Maybe, you know, because of how capable he is aerially, he can get a better header on the ball. But besides that, uh, I didn't think there was a major alarm for United at the back. And actually, one thing I will say is uh, this is a guy we've criticized quite a bit in the past. And while my heart was beating a little faster every time he had the ball, Eric Baye did a really good job today. I thought on the ball, his man marking, he was was really solid in defense today. Yeah, honestly, I'm with you. Every, every Every time I see his name on the team sheet, I'm like, okay, there's one mistake coming. Is that mistake going to result in a goal or are we going to get away with it? But he didn't make that mistake today. He played really well. He was assured in possession. I was impressed with how when we didn't have anything going on, he was able to take the ball forward 
uh, break the line and then open up some space. That, that was really well done from him because he's got the speed and clearly he's got the footwork to do it. Now, can he pick and choose his moments? That's going to be the difference between him being a good player and a great player. Let's see th- what this does for his confidence. I can definitely see Ole using him a lot more in the cup competitions to just give his center backs a rest. It's good to see Axel out there as well to get a run. So he he kind of killed two birds with one stone. You could see, I don't know what it is with the right backs, but as soon as the right backs get into space, their first option is always to pass a 45 or backward. <laughs> Refuse to cross the ball into the box. I don't know what it is. I, I just wish they would look at Alex Tellers a little bit more, but I mean, maybe they're just not confident in their crossing ability, but you know what? Yeah. If you don't buy a lottery ticket, you can't win. And Bailly's highlight of the match was probably that one opportunity where Calvert-Lewin was through. Oh, yeah. He completely snuffed it out. Yeah, he, he, he made he that look so easy. Exactly. And that could have really been a big chance for Everton. Bailly stepped in and maybe Lewin took on a bit too much trying to... Because at, at that point, it was both Bailly and Maguire who were back, right? And yeah. he tried to go through both of them. And so maybe that was a bit too much. But yeah, again, credit to Bailly in this match. A really effective performance. We're speaking of potential red flags. There could have been a really dangerous moment if there was VAR in this match. I think things could have played out a bit differently. Where early in the second half, Edinson Cavani grabs Mina's neck. And the referee just gives them a talking to. Should he have been on the pitch to score that goal at the end? I mean, this is where you're kind of getting into the nitty gritty. Because like, if you look at it, Mina had his hands all over Cavani. And he's almost mm-hmm. just trying to escape. And if you look where his hand actually started, it started by his chest area and then slid up, right? Like it wasn't a grab of the throat. I think if it was a grab, it would be completely different. And this is where I'm happy the referee used common sense. Because, I mean, the rule book states that if there's a hand on the neck, red card, right? But how the hand gets there makes a big difference, right? And so I think the referee did the right thing. I'm sure if you're an Everton fan, you're going to disagree with me. But at the end of the day, we just want common sense. Just like we want common sense with a lot of other things. Like, hey, you know what? If your armpit is offside, come on. let's, Let's not call offsides for that. So... That's a whole other can of worms, but all I'm all all I'm leading to is that use your common sense and then ref the game accordingly. And I think he did that. Did you think it was a red? I didn't think it was. I I, I thought if VAR was there, he would have been off. I thought we saw the beauty today when we when football is called a beautiful game. I thought today we saw a perfect example of a game just being called for the most part very well, and. You know, if there's anything that I look at and maybe question a little bit, it was the yellow that Pogba got, but he might have got that more for the, his reaction than the actual foul. But other than that, I thought he refereed a really good game. And to your point, you see, when you use some common sense, it was nice to watch everything play out and not think, oh my God, what is VAR going to say? Yeah, it's it's so true. And also, let's be honest, like Mina made the most of that. <laughs> he went down in stages. To be fair, I thought he could have made it look a lot worse. I think if he made it look worse, I things might have even played out differently. Yeah, you're Where, right, actually. At the very, very least, Cavani gets a letter. Like, like considering those are two South Americans, <laughs> I think that could have played out a lot worse. I think, let's face it, I'll put it this way. 
if Cavani does the same thing to Rich Arlison, it's playing out a lot differently. I, I don't know how much our South American listeners uh, will will like that one, but uh, <laughs> Vivek Jacob calling a spade a spade here. <laughs> but you know what? There was a scary moment actually with Richarlson where, I mean, Bailly went for the ball and Richarlson got a pretty bad hit uh, on his head. It looked like it was from Bailly's hip. It almost looked like at one point Richarlson was knocked unconscious. I'm I'm really glad the physio stayed strong because Richardson didn't want to come off the pitch. He didn't want to get substituted. And he was in no shape to continue. He barely knew where he was. I'm so happy that they took the right steps. I won't be surprised if he has a con- concussion. And didn't it look like he was bleeding? He's definitely bleeding from the mouth. Yeah, that, that that's what scared me a little bit. I was like, man, I really, really hope he's, he's okay. That was definitely a dangerous collision. That's the other side of Bai that you see sometimes, right? The no holes barred, just going all in. Can you imagine? You know how we keep talking about we need another center back, we need another center back, because one of the things that we're missing is a center back with pace. Now we have this guy called Eric Bai, who's got pace in abundance, right? It's just that he's missing something up top, right? And so if he had that, because we've seen him have one game, two, three good games in a row, and then either he gets injured or he makes some mistake or he gets a little too cocky or overconfident, and then we start from square one. He's had many a false dawn. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not getting too optimistic about what we can expect. But just on this game, he did a good job. Well done, Eric Bai. There isn't really too much to talk about in the second half. There was actually one thing that happened with Tellez that put Seamus Coleman through. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, he got stopped. But the only reason I want to pinpoint it is because that is the definition of an adjustment mistake. And what I mean by that is he is clearly still adjusting to the physicality that an English team brings. Because the way he went in for that challenge to go shoulder to shoulder it was extremely soft. And so it will take some time where he'll know better to either just boot it out immediately or be much stronger. Even if it gets called a foul, whatever, you deal with it. But you absolutely don't want to be in a situation where you're just bodied up and your opponent is running through. I'm sure Ole will remind him about just getting the basics right. And this is one of those where you just, it goes out into touch and let them take a throne and you start from there right he's just he's just lucky that you know what uh, our defense was awake harry maguire stepped up perfectly and Seamus coleman didn't have the confidence to shoot passed it to a calvin lewin who had a bad touch but he was also offside so lucky to escape that one apart from that though you know what i i like first of all our away run continues right we got a clean sheet we didn't have to come from behind the only thing out of place there was we only managed to score two goals where our average is three goals away from home. Uh, funny <laughs> enough. But uh, I mean, not- the last 10 minutes, plus, I mean, the five minutes of added time, it was chances galore for United. And yeah. I wonder how much of that United sort of going for it at the end is a product of taking away extra time, right? So many times we see extra times where... Maybe that first half of extra time is open 
and teams are saying, okay, let's just shut up shop and accept penalties in the second half of it. Here, those last 10 minutes, it was almost like, okay, we got 10 minutes to win this thing because there's no extra time. And United again went into the ascendancy. There was the free kick that Tellez fired over. There was the nice intricate play that led to a chance for Marshall where there's another one that he can add to his bloopers for the season. <laughs> where it, it goes out off of his other foot. And then finally, good. Cavani yeah. just pulls one out of his bag. Yeah, no, I, I was happy. I think it was, you know, you talk about the hallmark of a, of a good team and just being able to put it away when it matters and not taking it out of your hands. And we know that penalties, that's one of those things can, that can go either way. United finished the game and came out with the victory, which I think was deserved. So do you know when the semifinals are? Yeah, so that'll be Jan 5th. So there's a huge gap between the semis and the finals because they'll pretty much be four months apart. Someone could have a nice January window and stack up. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> but before we go to the Leicester match, let's quickly hand out the awards. Who do you have as your Cantona caller? So Cantona caller, I think, you know what? For his movement, the way he started the game and the way he finished the game, obviously, Cavani is is my front runner for that. I don't know if you have anybody else. I know we did talk about Tellez. Yeah, Alex Tellez is the other candidate that I would have. If Greenwood's header goes just inside the post, if another one of those crosses results in a goal, maybe we're looking at Tellez and saying, oh, two assists, wow, let's give it to him. But at the end of the day, yeah, Cavani was the difference, right? That quality strike and we've talked about his value to this team and I love his passion like right from the beginning he was he was going after it even when he scores the winner there's so much joy there's so much pride he takes in scoring goals and scoring big goals I I love having him at the club El Matador <laughs> so yeah I'm with you for that we can give the Canton a caller to Edinson Cavani Beckham boot is a little tougher because it was such a strong performance overall. Who's your candidate for that? For me, I would say Van de Beek didn't have a great game, partly due mm-hmm. to formation. But as we talked about, I think he could have made a little bit more with the start since they're so rare for him. He didn't leave a good impression. What about you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm with you on that. No arguments against it, really. And then the noisy neighbor? I thought Mina had a strong game. You look at the chances that United had in those first 25 to 30 minutes, and there's a lot that can be said to criticize Everton, but I think that had more to do with the midfield being inadequate and not doing enough for the team. Mina, I thought, had a couple of crucial interventions that would have set United on their way. And we know he's always a threat on those corners. Uh, the, again, when a threat like that, you have to pay a lot of attention to. Every time Everton had a corner, I was like, man, don't let this be one of those things that deflates the side, right? Like United are playing so well, Everton nick a goal off a corner, and then it's a completely different game. So I probably lean towards Yermina. You know, that's actually a, a pretty good selection because Mina did have quite a few interceptions. There was like nicks off his head that deflected across. It was like with his feet with some fantastic crosses into the box from Bruno. So I actually have no arguments. I think that's a really good pick for for you, Yer, Yeremina. 
after his goalkeeper punched him in the face, he was a different player. <laughs> I guess we can move on to the Leicester match now. Another away match. United will be looking to keep up that momentum. Ironically enough, if I remember correctly, was United's last early match that Everton fixture where they won 3-1? I think that game was at like... Uh... It was on a Sunday. I think it was at nine o'clock our time. So, not as early. Really? But yeah, I think Leicester another strong season for them. Everything's looking pretty positive against Brendan Rodgers. Jamie Vardy is having a party, uh, a, specifically a penalty party, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you talk about showing up and not being asleep. Jamie Vardy is that type of striker who will take advantage of any chance you know especially when those back passes come in to i would assume david de gea stepping in for dean henderson vardy's going to be right at his feet challenging him to get it out as quickly as possible any mistake any hesitation he will take advantage of any space that the defense gives him he will take advantage of so united are going to have to be on their toes madison he had a brace recently. I feel like he's been playing really well of late. So, yeah, this this stretch in particular is going to say a lot about United because you've got Leicester, you've got Wolves, you've got Aston Villa, and then the big one against Liverpool. You were right, by the way. Our last early morning fixture was against Everton at 7.30 in the morning. So, uh, good memory there, Vivek. <laughs> Thanks. As for the Leicester game... If I'm being honest, I don't have a good feeling about this one. I think, uh, you know, our our streak away from home is in jeopardy. I I hope I'm wrong. I just feel like Everton, sorry, uh, Leicester have uh, found their mojo again uh, with some some good wins recently. Uh, let's just hope that United have a solid start and then they'll grow into the game because the one thing we know is we do have belief. Even if we go a goal down, we can come back. And Leicester's defense isn't as strong. They're also missing, you know, their their summer signing. I can't pronounce his name, Castigna. He he has he's had a lot of assists and he's been injured for a while, right? So they've got James Justin on the right side. Let's see what what United can do. I think our pace is definitely going to trouble them, and hopefully we can beat them. And then that just continues our good run and continues to put us as the dark horses in the uh, title run. Look at that. Dark horses in the title run. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a fun fixture. I think Leicester will be respectful of what United are capable of on the counter. But I don't think they'll be as respectful as Man City were. Because I think Brendan Rodgers will look at this as an opportunity to get three points. He'll look at this as an opportunity for him to make a statement. And so I think there will be opportunities for United and I'm expecting a pretty, I, I wouldn't call it an open fixture, but I would expect this is one of those matches where there'll be chances early. And whoever gets that first goal is going to be in full control the rest of the way. Yeah, it's, uh, you know what, I, I know I, I always always used to dread earlier games as opposed to later games, just because it affects with your routine and what you're eating and then getting ready for a game. And so I can't imagine doing that the day after Christmas where you know you just got to get g'd up and there are no fans in the stadium it's just really hard to get yourself going when you hear the fans just going full full out 
that will wake you up, right? And so let's let's hope Ole, you know, gives these guys a good talk before the game, and then uh, let's go out there and get the business done and put some pressure on Liverpool at the top. And let's hope uh, Bruno's daughter will let him leave the house. <laughs> yeah, for for those of you that don't know, you know our our Instagram account is in full force now, and uh, we can give you all the latest news from all the different players and what happens at home as well as on the pitch. <laughs> so obviously there were a ton of changes going from the Leeds United fixture to this cup match against Everton. Instead of asking you what changes are going to be there, let's just go through the expected 11 and formation that you want to see in that match. Obviously, we fully expect David De Gea to step in for Dean Henderson. Aaron Wan-Bissaka will step in at right back. I think the familiar duo of Lindelof and Maguire will be together. Do you think Luke Shaw gets in ahead of Alex Tellez? I will say yes. I think Luke Shaw will get in ahead of Tellez. Purely because Shaw didn't play a majority of the game today. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott McTominay is going to be a bit of a question mark. Obviously, we saw he picked up that niggle against Leeds and had no participation, wasn't even amongst the substitutes for this match. So his fitness will be interesting to see for Boxing Day. But I assume if he's healthy, Solskjaer will go back to both him and Fred together as the defensive midfield pairing. You know what? That's that's an interesting one. Because uh, I, I was just think, looking at Leicester's formation, obviously they've got... Madison and Tielemans who are who do a lot of damage for them in the in the middle of the park and they've got only the one defensive midfielder usually in, in Didi, right? Uh so I won't be surprised if Ole plays with Pogba and either of Scott or uh Fred. I would like to see it personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but the fact that Leicester do have pace and they run at us i can see ole taking the safe option so uh, basically what i'm saying is i'm sitting on the fence and i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i i think the same way we saw solshire keep that tottenham 6-1 result in the back of his mind for a while the same way he'll look at this fixture and say i remember what lester did to man city even though that was a while ago i think he'll be just a little bit wary of that and so Maybe he goes with that defensive pairing where McTominay has a bit of a license to continue what he did against Leeds. But I would lean that way if, of course, McTominay is healthy. Then we're talking about the three in front of them and the striker up top. Another question mark is we don't know if Cavani's decision is going to come out by then from the FA on what his punishment is going to be. So I would lean towards if... The punishment hasn't come in yet that he plays. But again, having played this fixture, maybe he's out for that one. Yeah, I think clearly, you know, Marcus and, and uh, Anthony are back for that game. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who he plays on the right because he did play Daniel James against Leeds. I can't see him playing Daniel James against Leicester. Uh, I think he needed a specific job to be done against Leeds and DJ did that really well. I won't be surprised if Mason Greenwood gets the game. So it'll be... Marcus on the left, Mason on the right, Anthony up top, and then Bruno in the center. I think that's what he's going to do. And Cavani probably coming off the bench. Because you got to remember that Cavani did have a groin niggle that put him out of contention for 
for a couple of games, right? And so for him to play back-to-back games so quickly, especially with groin and how troublesome they can be, I think he he's going to put Cavani back on the bench. Fair enough. That'll do it for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. Red We've got a bit of a Christmas gift for you. You can now follow us on Instagram at the same handle, RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match and let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. We want to wish you a happy holidays. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.